When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's it, everybody. We are back. This is episode 231. Does anyone use vanilla CSS anymore? Nope. It's a mystery. Episode over. I mean, <laughs> the answer is no. Uh, we're going to be talking about the instances in which you people do use uh, CSS. We're also going to be talking about SAS because it seems to be a major and indeed is a major replacement for the syntax and whatever. We'll get into that when we get to it. So if this sounds interesting to you and you want to support the show, you can go check us out on that Patreon, leave a review or rating on your podcast app. Join us in our Discord server or share this with your friends. And I want to do a brief introduction to this episode further than I've already done because this comes from a specific thing that happened. Uh, We recently published two TikTok tutorials that received quite a lot of attention and with that some comments and likes and all that, which is great and thank you for that. But the point is this comes from a specific comment thread. This idea comes from a specific comment thread in one of the videos. I think it was a CSS variables video where uh, we had a debate and it was a civil debate. You know, no one was attacking each other or anything like that, luckily. And I'm just going to read out the comments here. I didn't write down the people's names or anything. And if you want to comment in this uh, thing, go ahead and go to our CSS variables video on our TikTok. But somebody writes, just curious, but who still uses vanilla CSS? And I replied with, I know a lot don't, but a lot do as well. And I'm paraphrasing some of this to be clear. Because I'm going to mess up the reading, to be honest. Um, it is commonly helpful when making custom UI changes on no-code tools and site builders, for example. Just inserting little bits of code here and there. And we'll talk more about that later in the episode. And then someone else replies, if someone still uses vanilla CSS, that's a fireable offense. And to what? And then I reply, well, everything you make compiles down to vanilla HTML, CSS, and JS for the browser's sake, at least in terms of the front end anyway. Um, another commenter says, I don't use Tailwind or Brute or Bootstrap or similar, if that's what you're asking. Someone else comments, I mean, there are less SAS, SCSS, blah, blah, blah. And then that original person says, oh, I, I, you know, that's what, if, if, oh, that's what you meant. Sure. SAS is the way to go. And then finally, I use vanilla CSS, but they just put, they just had an emoji with their hand up, meaning they use <laughs> vanilla CSS. So, I just want to bring in all this comment and and whatnot because this debate left me wondering, hey, you know, I use vanilla CSS, obviously. Uh, I have used SAS, of course, but I primarily use vanilla in a lot of the stuff that I do. And you know, is it outdated? Is it dumb? Is it <laughs> what is it? So does anyone use vanilla CSS anymore? And so SAS seems to be the big alternative, let's say. It seems to be the big thing that people are like, well, no, nah, I just use SAS and I use CSS or SCSS. I use less. I use this and that. So I want to zoom in on SAS and SAS seems to always be popular in this debate because it almost feels like 
it's a replacement for CSS or something. It feels like people think, okay, you know, I'm using SAS. It's, it's extending the syntax, if you will. It's extending the capabilities of CSS, but what is it? And so right, right away, you go to the homepage of SAS and there's a quote there. SAS is the most mature, stable and powerful professional grade CSS extension language in the world. That's right from the SAS homepage. I will put a link to that in the show notes. And right away, you're like, okay, you know, this is powerful. This is cool. This is huge. So maybe this is the replacement for CSS. Maybe people don't use vanilla CSS anymore and they use SAS or something like this. So we're going to, we're on the trail of evidence, let's say. And there's another quote here in the guide, which I'll also link a description to, where it says, pre-processing. CSS on its own can be fun, but style sheets are getting larger, more complex, and harder to maintain. This is where a preprocessor can help. SAS has features that don't exist in CSS yet, like nesting, mix-ins, inheritance, and other nifty goodies that help you write robust, maintainable CSS. Once you start tinkering with SAS, it will take your preprocessed SAS file and save it as a normal CSS file that you can use in your website. So that was part of my comment back. We're saying, hey, you know, your stuff is getting compiled effectively or pre-processed or whatever is getting boiled down, let's say, to CSS in this case. And so I noticed that in this list of things that they mentioned, like the nesting and the mix-ins and this, nesting is in the CSS spec as something that's sort of pending. It's something that, that that's very immature. It's something that's coming. Mike has sent me uh, sort of a debate on what the syntax is or like maybe, and there's various ways they're going to do it. But I notice that in here as well, we're on this sort of sea of clues or on the, the, the trail here, there's no mention of variables. And this is on my CSS variables video. So it's like, okay, CSS, the vanilla part is being updated and things are being things that say SAS and other tools if they're useful, if those tools have them, CSS, the a native platform, the vanilla platform seems to be adopting them or has a high probability of adopting them eventually. And so I'm not saying that they specifically mentioned variables here. I didn't go back in the in the time machine and look back in the Wayback Machine or whatever to see. But variables aren't mentioned here because they are available in SAS, but they are also avail- available in just vanilla CSS now. So. Next quote here. Fun fact, SAS has two syntaxes. The SCSS syntax with the file extension .scss is most, or excuse me, is used most commonly. It is a superset of CSS, which means all valid CSS is also valid SCSS. The indented syntax, file extension .sass or SAS, is more unusual. It uses indentation rather than curly braces to nest statements and new lines instead of semicolons to separate them. All our examples are available in both syntaxes. So the fact, and this is again, just another little clue, but the fact that SCSS is the most common SAS syntax points out to me anyway, or is an indicator that people almost want to or are just using at times vanilla CSS. It's an easier transition where people know CSS. It's more versatile because it can be used in site builders and stuff, which we will discuss later. But it's also a question of, 
hey, you know, uh, if, if CSS adopts, uh, um, if, if vanilla CSS adopts variables, as an example, maybe they don't want to use SAS variables, which you still can use. They want to use the vanilla ones for whatever reason. I think it's accessible by the DOM and this and that. I'm not going to get into all that stuff today, but so to me, this is an indicator that CSS as a vanilla platform has matured. And is indeed actually an indicator of what Chris Fernandi said on one of our previous episodes about the transitional web, where even SAS seemingly is, is kind of saying, you know, Hey, SCSS, this syntax that is, is let's say CSS compliant, if you will, allows you to interchangeably use CSS because it's valid SCSS and then, and then also use the different syntax, like the different way to, to, um, declare variables allows you to use mixins, allows you to use, you know, the list goes on. So this reminds me and reminded me actually of a project that you, Mike, mentioned to me one time that you were working on and you were working with jQuery and JS interchangeably, which you can do in most cases, but is sometimes frowned upon due to you not being consistent. You're sometimes using jQuery. You're sometimes using JavaScript vanilla JavaScript, like what's going on here. But I remember you were doing that because there was a very fast approaching deadline and you just needed to get it done. And so you knew some stuff in jQuery and you knew some stuff in JavaScript just off the top of your head as you're working. And it was a matter of, we need to get this coded up. So I'm going to not going to look up how to do this in vanilla. I'm not going to look up how to do this in jQuery. I'm just going to code it the way I know how to code it. Cause I know I can get the job done. And then I would assume you went back and refactored later or however that project went. And this is a similar thing where SCSS is to me an indicator that once again has that CSS has matured to a point where even those that want to use SAS largely like and SAS, not the syntax, like SAS, the product, I guess you could say this is where things get really muddy, but um, SAS, the product. Like people are using the thing that's more CSS compliant because it's easier for them to learn CSS and then go to SCSS in terms of syntax because it's very similar. But it also, in my opinion, it's because people are probably going to be going to be start using and probably already have started using the um, the syntax interchangeably. They've started they've started just using oh, I'll use a little CSS here. I'll use a little SAS here. Maybe I won't use the the, the, the SAS variables anymore. I'll use the vanilla ones, et cetera, et cetera. This is just, these are just like little clues. And so to me, this is indicative that we are indeed in the transition phase to the native platform or the vanilla platform taking over some of the functionality. And it, and it is indeed indicative that people are using at least in part vanilla CSS. I, I think that that's where it's heading. Uh, I'll definitely agree that, um, CSS is evolving to be closer to what SCSS or SAS has given us for a long time. Uh, but having said that, I think we're still probably like 10 years away from feature parity, um, at it in like a generous estimation where you could completely replace anything you did with, you know, SCSS with CSS, if that's ever really going to happen even. But it is trying to move to that direction. I do have a couple of different takes on this as well, uh, just because I have been using SCSS in my projects lately. In my last three, three, four, four projects that I worked on have been with SCSS with a mix of Tailwind in there in between. So I'm going to kind of give a take on both of those. 
the reason most of the time people lean on these platforms, these like CSS frameworks, is usually not for like a one-off little project. Uh, that's not, you know, you can do that with CSS, not an issue. It's when there's a bigger design system at play. So when you're taking like a big design system from Figma and you need to convert that to uh, a design system in code, SCSS has a lot of functionality with the mixins and the functions and uh, all the, how the variables actually work as well as how all the files communicate with each other and the nesting. Nesting is a pretty big one uh, that just make the correlation between a visual design system and an actual coded design system easier to accomplish, right? Now, having said that, uh, building a design system with something like SCSS is not trivial. It's not easy. And it does require upkeep, documentation, maintenance. It, it is a whole process when you're working on a large team to keep your design system up to date. And during code reviews, most of the code review is usually spent talking about why you didn't use the built-in design system stuff rather and build your own CSS rather than talking about like the code that you wrote. Like that's just how it's been for me at least or in the last few projects. So maintaining an SCSS design system is something that happens a lot in the industry and probably where everyone that spoke about, hey, does anyone use CSS anymore is talking about because any larger project is immediately choosing SCSS. But it's not the easiest thing to do in the world and doing it in CSS is probably possible, right? And it also would not be easy. So like the argument there is, you know, down the line, maybe CSS will become good enough to replace that functionality of being a full-on design system uh, replicator with just plain CSS. But having said that, I do want to move to Tailwind and why people are shifting to Tailwind more. And it's again, because of the design system, the design system. It is way easier to implement the already built-in Tailwind design system and stick to the Tailwind design system across your entire team when using something like Tailwind. Bootstrap is a similar thing. It's a little bit more rigid though. Bootstrap has a very uh, distinct look to it, whereas Tailwind has more of a distinct guideline to follow. Like their spacing and their typography, their sizing is distinct. Like you can probably tell if you're a really seasoned uh, Tailwind developer, if a site is using Tailwind just by where their breakpoints are and how big their text is on different size screens. But in terms of actual styles, Tailwind doesn't assume anything and you're able to style it as you want. So this is where like Tailwind has taken over a big market share is because it made design systems easier to implement. This, I think a lot of people don't understand that. That's why I want to reiterate it is like people think that, oh, I'm just going to use Tailwind on the side project and it's just like writing a bunch of CSS in your, you know, in your HTML and that looks dumb and look how long these are. That's not why people are mostly using Tailwind. There's two reasons. One is the fact that it auto completes really, really well. So when you, when you've integrated it with VS code, the auto completion when you're writing in inline uh, styles, right? In your class is really, really good. Like it can, it knows, it gives you all the different options for everything that you're writing. Uh, so you, you usually don't have to memorize anything and it's just really, really fast to write. So that's one big advantage. The other advantage is the design system that it has. The underlying design system is super easy to work with. And that can you, I'm can telling you- Can you expand you, on that? Yeah. Like, can you expand on that as to why, 
why it would be easier than SAS. Because, I mean, SAS, SCSS, whatever. What, what, I'll just talk about SCSS, the syntax for SAS, um, where it's, it's effectively a- extending the syntax or it's a- extending the capabilities of vanilla CSS. It's allowing you to, like you said, have the mix-ins, have this and that. And the biggest thing for me is the nesting. And the biggest thing for when you and I were first getting started with this stuff was the variables. Because when we first started, variables were not mature enough. I don't even remember seeing them anywhere in vanilla CSS when we started, um, if memory serves. So it was like, hey, if you want variables, if you want things like that, you need to use SAS. You have to. Um, or another thing, but SAS was the biggest and apparently still is one of the biggest, if not the biggest. So like, why, like, what's the difference there? Because with Tailwind, and I'll let you take over in a second, but with Tailwind, you're not, it's different, right? Like you're not extending the syntax, if you will, and you're not extending the capabilities of CSS. You are using classes that reflect the CSS properties. So why is the design system easier for a team with Tailwind CSS? Okay, uh, really good question. Uh, so I'll I'll compare it with something like uh, typography and paddings and media breakpoints, right? Like when when to make small when to make uh, something smaller. Tailwind has all that already deter- predetermined for you. Right. You can change it and you can customize it if you want, but it's already there. And for the most part, it works really well. So for instance, if you need to do a media breakpoint, there is a tailwind, you know, you target, like you can do a media breakpoint right in line using, let me just verify it because I haven't used tailwind in a few weeks now. So let me just bring it, bring up the docs so I can actually talk about the right syntax. But essentially you, you need to, just give me a second here. Uh, you use predefined classes, right? With predefined values. So if you're targeting a small screen, SM, the, the indicator for small, and colon gives you access to the small screen. Okay. And it's already determined how small that screen is. You didn't have to set up the entire infrastructure for you know, all your different media queries to be used. Now, when someone already knows Tailwind and goes into it, they know how to use your design system because SM is SM is SM across all different projects. The screen, like you might even have a smaller screen size that you target or something like that. That's possible. But for the most part, you're using the default values or the, at least the default classes in there. So a Tailwind developer can come in and know exactly what's going on in your code base, even if he's not the one that wrote it or she. Okay. Not only from a class perspective, from a sizing perspective. So when you're doing the breakpoints, when you're putting in padding, for instance, you know, padding is again a predefined setting in Tailwind. So like a P2 or a P8 has a certain amount of padding to it. So again, another another developer comes in, they know what a P8 means. In SCSS, that is all predetermined by the design system that is created for that particular project. Just someone, so someone's it could, wrote it. So someone someone had to <clears throat> write those classes and write, you're writing CSS. You're writing CSS that's modified, modified CSS. Correct. So a lot of random class names have been set. So it could be, you know, you could have, 
sizing SCSS variables, right? So small, medium, large, but no one knows what those are. So you have to go in, the, the, the new developer would have to go in and learn all those different variables. And a lot of the time, because everyone's on a tight time budget, they don't know what variables are available to them. So they'll just start writing CSS because they just need to get it done as quickly as possible. And this is where the code review comes in, where the code reviewer is looking at it and be like, why aren't you using the predefined classes for this? Why aren't you using the predefined class for this? And that goes back and forth a few times every code review. Okay. With Tailwind, that is less of a problem. It still can happen, obviously, but for the most part, you're going in there as a Tailwind, as someone that knows Tailwind or someone that's even learning Tailwind from scratch, you're going to have the same advantages because those sizings remain constant. The class names remain constant. Everything is constant across project to project. So onboarding as Tailwind developer is faster than onboarding a developer that has to learn your entire design system in the way that you do it. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's sort of the way I I envision it. If there was a hierarchy of the metal, uh, you know, being as close as you can, let's just say vanilla CSS is the metal. It's the rawest form of CSS. You kind of have, uh, if you go up one level, you have SAS in whatever syntax you want to use, the dot SAS or the dot SCSS. You have SAS, and then you all, and then you go one level up, and you sort of start getting into Bootstrap territory. And yes, I know Bootstrap has a bunch of other things in there. But it's like Bootstrap is like a very guided experience. It sounds like Tailwind is right in between there. It jams itself yes. right in between that layer where where you have your SAS, then your Tailwind. Like that's where it kind of scoops right in there. Whereas before it was just Bootstrap, SAS. When we were when we were learning it anyway, it was Bootstrap at the top, SAS, and then right at the metal, your CSS. And Tailwind just sort of scoops right in there and goes, hey. Here's a more customizable version of Bootstrap that's maybe a little more designed to be customized. Yes, I know you can you can change Bootstrap and you can mess around with the columns and you can mess around with this and that, of course, and the default colors, of course. But it sounds like Tailwind is just that half step. It's like a half step above. Uh, it's like a half step above um, SAS, where it's yeah. just like another layer, which again is. <laughs> going to contribute to this whole house of cards we were talking about and we have like layer upon layer upon layer upon layer and it's like okay <laughs> but anyway um sure yes but like to to i guess to bring it back to the episode is the fact that sas features are being implemented into the vanilla vanilla css platform it does indicate that vanilla css is being used but there are a heck of a lot of tools of mike as mike has outlined that you can use out there, of course. And I'm not saying you shouldn't use them, to be clear. But some people are still going to use CSS. For example, vanilla CSS. For example, in your site builders, your no code and your WordPress. So, um, obviously WordPress can be a site builder and can be a no code thing. It's a whole thing. It's why I put it in separately because it, you kind of choose the experience, I guess you're getting. But with many site builders and no code platforms, they will have a place for you to add custom code. And these sections are often for embedding third-party content, like maybe you're embedding, maybe you have an iframe, or maybe you're calling on a certain script or whatever you're doing. And oftentimes, these custom code areas do not support SAS, SCSS, LESS, etc. They are meant as simple ways to manipulate whatever functionality is already built into the platform and what it supports, at least natively. So, for example, a lot of these things, like if you were to implement some custom code, 
a lot of these things without customization will only support the vanilla platforms, your HTML, your CSS, and your JS. Some of them only support one of them. It'll be like, hey, add your custom CSS here. It's like a form. Add your custom CSS here. Add your custom HTML here. In the case of Webflow, it's, hey, add your, add your, here's like a custom code area. You know, do your scripts, do your HTML here, do your, your CSS here, whatever. And sure, some of these tools will support jQuery. Some of these tools with customization will support SAS, will support SCSS with customization and all this. But these are additional steps on top of just adding your little custom bit of vanilla CSS. And I want to point to WordPress here specifically because WordPress, of course, has several plugins that allow you to use your own files, for example, like a JS file or a CSS file style sheet. But there's also the additional CSS menu, which is located under the appearance and then furthermore under the customized menu. And every website that I've seen, if, if it's used at all, this is always just straight vanilla CSS. Now, I did look online very briefly, to be clear, to see if anyone got SCSS or anything else working in this additional CSS area. And I didn't see anyone that had. I only saw people talking about how they're using SAS in their themes now that they're making. So if you know anything about getting SAS or anything working in this additional CSS thing, please let me know. But anyway, you know, these changes is the main thing. The, the, the type of changes is the main thing I want to zoom in on here. The type of changes that are done in this additional CSS area are typically designed for very quick, small changes and oftentimes actually temporary changes. They're just little quick things that maybe the maybe the theme can't do. Oh, the theme can't touch this one background color of this button. We really need that to be red. We really need that to be green to be Christmassy. Uh, you know, I'll just quickly do this and it's temporary fix. And then once Christmas is over, you know, it's gone. Um, hey, you know, uh, the site's great, but uh, this uh, one thing is overlapping this other thing. There's a bug in the theme and, uh, you know, it just needs a bit of padding, needs a bit of margin. Quickly do that in the additional CSS thing. And this is just a little spurt of additional vanilla CSS. So these areas in your in your word in your WordPress in your site builders in your no code that say hey add a little bit of HTML here add a bit of custom CSS here add a bit of custom JS are oftentimes either for temporary things or for smaller things where you've offloaded say ninety percent of the site's functionality to the no code platform and that that last say ten percent is a little bit of custom code a little bit of custom template, a little bit of custom this, like maybe the CMS just can't do, can't do tables well. Well, you know, I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll add a, a, an HTML table here and I'll just make that easy enough. And then people can, you know, deal with that in, in that regard. And so this is another indicator to me that people obviously still need to know and still use vanilla CSS because you're not going to add these steps where you're adding your preprocessor and you're this and you're that. I mean, I guess you could on your own computer code up some some SCSS or some SAS and then have it process it down to CSS and then copy that CSS. You see what I mean? Like this just doesn't make sense for stuff that's usually quick. Now, yes, some of these custom code areas, like I mentioned, the Webflow one, it allows you to do a lot. You could write up a whole website in there probably. I don't know how performant it would be, but you could probably write up your own whole website in one of these things. Um, I think there is a character limit, though. But the whole point is, is like, sure, maybe in those particular instances, you have a little GitHub where you've wrote a little plugin that you need to copy and paste this whole thing into a couple of those custom code 
embeds or something like that. And you want to use SCSS or SAS into those, fine. But for what I would assume is the, is the, the way that a lot of these things are designed to be used or how they're designed to be used. It's just a little thing. Like I've gone into Elementor and instead of installing a, a whole new plugin to dynamically show or hide something, I've used custom properties, which is a part of Elementor Pro. And then I've used CSS alongside um, advanced custom fields, which we were already using. And I just detected the state of something in the CMS with the CSS and the custom properties. And then my custom CSS either shows or hides based on that. And that's just something that I did because I was like, I don't want another plugin. I don't want something else that the client or myself have to maintain. I don't want to have to worry about that. I don't want to have to, when Elementor changes how its dynamic tags work, this and that, like I'm using vanilla features. I'm using custom properties, which is a vanilla thing. And I'm using CSS, vanilla CSS to detect that it's just easier because CSS is more versatile, especially in those little areas, little quick fixes, little temporary changes you might do. The next thing here is a little controversial, but I still believe you could do it. And it's beginners, your first job. So many beginners will learn your HTML first, then the CSS, and then the JS. Yes, there's a hundred million thousand, whatever, learning paths out there. There's a lot of learning paths out there. A lot of people will do this in that order. HTML, then CSS, then JavaScript. And the lines get blurred as you start building projects and go back and learn different things. But I would say, personally, that... Once you're able to consistently make landing pages and little mini projects, even with just HTML and CSS, no JS, you can start selling your skills and make a bit, a bit of money. Not a lot. I'm not saying you're going to go and code up a bank's website or something crazy. A little bit. You know, not a lot. You're still in training. But some people, meaning business owners usually, will not have the time or even care to make themselves a little landing page. Even if it's even if they are able to do it on a no-code tool, they just don't care. They just, they want to offload this. And so they'll reach out to cheaper developers, maybe on a freelance market or through word of mouth or whatever. And so devs in training become those cheaper developers where they go in, they're like, I need a business card website and I just need it real quick. It just needs to be a small business website, you know, whatever. These devs in training can come out and do that. And it's just a little, it's just a simple website. There's no big design system. There's no team involved. There's no, there's nothing like that. These sites are, you know, on average, one to five pages, and they're just inexpensive. And and when or if that business outgrows that website, this website doesn't need to have this super scalable, longevity-driven whatever. This is vanilla HTML, CSS, and maybe vanilla J- JavaScript. These sites are just replaced. Hey, I need a bigger site. I need a more powerful site. I got a team that needs to log in and upload blog posts. You immediately go to somewhere else. You go to WordPress, you go to a custom site, and you got to pay more money. That just makes sense. Or you go to a no-code platform, but you outgrow the site. And these are just little things. And so beginners, in my opinion, can and do use it is a, this is a niche. This isn't on on mass, but they can and do use their basic skills, their vanilla skills, to make a little bit of money just as they're learning. Not a lot. So don't be saying like, oh, yeah, I'm getting paid 110K and, you know, I, you know, I know React and I never got paid for vanilla. It's like, sure. But like some people will do the hustle to make a little bit of money on landing pages, maybe from freelancer sites or through word of mouth or whatever, because HTML, CSS and JS can still make modern sites. They can. It's just unassisted, if you will, unassisted. I will say that 
most little tools that you make internally, most little things, even if you're using React or Vue or Svelte or whatever, like something that is not a, a team-wide effort, usually you don't really need SCSS for that or SAS. Um, I think that's where people... I think they still do use CSS pretty commonly just because it's another import that you don't have to do. It's another complication to your code that you don't have to do. The only reason that people don't do that is because of the familiarity they already have with SCSS. Like I know a lot of people that like will just refuse to use CSS anymore because they just know how SCSS works from, you know, top to bottom and nesting is the only way of life kind of thing. But I don't think that that's like everyone. I think there are people that recognize the simplicity of CSS and when you're building something quickly for a tool like, hey, I need to upload my video from here to my company's HR folder here and I need to do it online so that multiple people can access this and stuff like that. Like for stuff like that, I still think CSS is being used. Um, I'm not, I don't... I, I don't quote me on that or anything, but I have a feeling that not everyone is just like, oh, I'm just going to use SCSS here, even when I don't, I don't need to worry about a design system or responsivity or like as much, you know, user or team input and stuff like that. So there is something to say that like, it's not just beginners that are going to be using it. I think a lot of advanced developers value simplicity as well when they're building. Like we had Chris Fernandi on the show, Matt mentioned like people like Chris, uh, they understand that like, hey, adding additional libraries, regardless of how convenient they are, can be a detriment to the project overall and to the speed at which you do it overall as well. Because if you're you know troubleshooting and it turns out to be an SCSS error, that could have been avoided by not adding SCSS. Same goes for something like Tailwind, right? Like if you just need something quick, I know a lot of people will still reach for Tailwind and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying, I don't think everyone does. So there is, I, I'm almost positive. There is a portion of, of the senior developers of the more experienced developers that will reach for simplicity rather than obfuscate with, uh, you know, com- complexity of systems that make it easier to do certain complex things. There is certainly a, um, there is certainly a comfort zone when it comes to these things, even if they're more complex, I think is a good way to put it, uh, where you're so used to it that you'll just use that thing. And, uh, I mean, I, we're guilty of it. Everyone's probably guilty of it to some extent where I'll be like, hey, you know, I'll use WordPress for this. And it ends up that the project, you know, really should not have been using WordPress, <laughs> should have been using maybe something custom or maybe something that wasn't WordPress. Something that just was maybe was vanilla or something smaller, like a smaller CMS, or maybe it doesn't need a CMS at all. Stuff like that. Um, you and I have been in this industry for a while, so we've kind of reined that in. That happens not that often anymore. Um, it, not every pro- – actually, I would say no project goes exactly to plan. There's always a little bit of scope creep or maybe the scope we overestimate or whatever. But you know, in general, we're not completely estimating the wrong tool to use anymore. But that can absolutely happen, and that can happen due to comfort zone. And you could use Tailwind to just quickly write display none on something. It's like, why? Why did you install all that? I mean, you know, like, why, really? Um, it's the same thing with with WordPress, where people go plug-in happy. They go plug-in happy, they got four or five, four or five sliders on their site. 
and they got four or five slider plugins. Like, why do you have why do you have four or five slider plugins? This one plugin allows you to make seven sliders. Go make the seven sliders. Go make the five sliders. Uh, stuff like that. Like, why make things more difficult? Uh, I wor- we worked on a project recently using Moodle. And uh, if anyone knows that, it's a learning platform. It's a real uh, treat. Anyway, um, well, we were using a fully, a very customized version of Moodle. So I think that's why it became a bit of a treat. But anyway, uh, and that's a sarcastic treat. Anyway, uh, if you didn't pick up on that. But there was a login page that was made, whatever. And it was, um, we were using a plugin to achieve a certain thing with the login page. And the login page was unstyled, just left. And we went digging through the files. We found the file. And we're like, okay, we're allowed to customize this as long as we leave the uh, login fields and the button, of course, intact. We're able to add anything we want with HTML, CSS and all that and, and some JavaScript in line. And I went into Moodle itself and found out in the settings that you could just inline code up. You could just inline basically inject some uh, whatever you wanted, some HTML, some CSS, some this and that. And I thought to myself, you know what, I'm going to do this. And the reason why I'm going to do this is because this, the project was in beta at the time. And I'm going to do vanilla everything as close to vanilla as I can. I'm not going to have because we had less, I think, or no, we had we had SAS actually on that project. And I thought instead of me going in there and every single time a problem comes up where they want the layout changed, instead of me going in, writing it up in the file, access in the file, do this and that. Is it quick? Of course, but not as quick as logging in quickly and just changing a little bit of CSS in line right there. Without me worrying about, oh, do I have this set up on my computer? Do I have this preprocessor set up on this laptop? Do I have it set up on this desktop? Do I need to mess around with this at all? Instead, I just go right into the Moodle, do that, saves it to the database. Then when we do our regular backups, it's backed up. I know it's going to run in the browser because it's very simple. It's moving around some text. It's styling some colors or it's adding some colors. And those type of things. And so that's the way we went. It's a little unorthodox, a little bit weird where it's like, hey, like, why don't you just go into the file? But it allowed us to be a little more portable. And we did have to move the site at one point to another host and blah, blah, blah. And it just allowed that type of stuff to just be a little easier than being like, oh, I hope, you know, my I hope my SAS works on here. I hope this works. I hope that works. Um, it was a you know, it's just it's just a little easier. And it was just one page. So it was I thought, well, you know, why not? Why not just do that here? And if it was multiple pages, sure. You know, I'm going to go into the files. I'm going to change the stuff. I'm going to do this and that. However, we deploy it, we deploy it. But at the same time, I was like, ah, I'm just going to use the, you know, the native, in that case, native platform, Moodle, to uh, achieve this result. And it worked. And it worked fine uh, throughout the project, actually. The last one here, or no, second last, excuse me, is graphics and drawing. Now, this is more of a hobby than a, than a professional thing, but uh, people will draw things icons, logos, characters, pictures, they're drawing with CSS effectively. And it's a, and these graphics are often drawn with vanilla CSS. And yes, there are people that use SAS and pre like other preprocessors and stuff like that, different syntaxes. I understand that. But many of the ones that I've looked at are just using vanilla CSS. Some of them are intentionally using vanilla CSS to push the limit to the point where they're even using things that are, say, only supported in Chrome or only supported in name a browser. And then they say on their on the little page showing the graphic, hey, this has to be loaded in Chrome or has to be loaded in Edge or has to be loaded in IE or whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, these are just these are just little hobbyists, but people are using vanilla CSS to achieve these things. 
to achieve these results and their advanced results. Drawing things in CSS is not easy. It's not really what CSS was made for. It's not what CSS was designed for, and yet it can do it. And so absolutely, 100% people are doing this. Um, so that's another example of people using vanilla CSS. Final thing here is influencers. Now, I'm not like maybe I'm biased because I've made a couple videos now and that's like, oh, Matt, Matt's like kind of becoming an influencer or whatever. No, that's not what I mean. What I mean is, is there's a lot of tech influencers out there, a lot of programming influencers, web dev influencers out there that are just straight up teaching you vanilla CSS. And this indicates that there is a market for learning vanilla CSS, whether it be just for beginners or otherwise. Absolutely, it, it indicates this. If no one is paying attention to vanilla CSS anymore, people are not going to teach it. Kevin Powell is, is a YouTube channel, or he has a YouTube channel where he does a lot of CSS stuff. I learn a lot from him, and a lot of it is vanilla. I've only watched a few of his videos, and I think all the ones I've watched have been vanilla. And more recently, he's even done a multi-part series. I think it's around six months ago-ish from recording this, where he's made a website using HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. And it's a multi-part series. And it includes only a few extras, like using Vite or Vite, rather. Uh, maybe some post-processing, I think he mentioned. And... He makes this site largely with just HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. Now, I didn't watch the series. I watched just the beginning of the one to see which technologies he was using. So maybe it's changed within the series. But the point is, he made a, he took a design file and he made a fully modern looking, you know, could be sold, could be the thing that somebody requested. A designer gives you this and you have to make it. He made it largely with HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. And the whole reason why this is, is because it's possible. Like people, people who are really comfortable with these preprocessors, these no code tools, these tools, whatever, anything to get out of the vanilla, they think, oh, you know, vanilla is not that powerful. It's like, no, it just has some jank to it sometimes. Uh, like doing an Ajax request in something like jQuery when Mike and I were first learning was a lot easier than doing it in uh, JavaScript, like straight up JavaScript. But you can do it. And we had an instance where we had, we were making a Google Chrome extension or something and we weren't able to use jQuery or we didn't want to. And so I just learned at that time to do Ajax requests in vanilla JavaScript. And let me tell you, you know, it didn't take too long, but 90% of the threads that I found were like, ah, don't use JavaScript, just use jQuery. And here's it, you know, dot Ajax, blah, blah, blah. The whole list goes on. And it's like, no, I, like I'm in a particular instance in which I need, I need the vanilla solution because you have to remember anything that these frameworks are doing for you, it's being compiled down to or processed down to or boiled down to these vanilla platforms. And so it might be harder to write up the CSS or it might be like Mike saying, like it's harder to track. Uh, like if, if, if you go into one of my websites, like Mike's going to be like, what is going on here? He's going to have to spend time looking through my CSS to figure out what's going on. But those projects are usually very small. They're for small business clients. They're meant to be quick. I'm fastest at that. It's good. It's performant. Obviously, it's just vanilla stuff is performant. And it's usually just like a business card website or something similar. Or in most of those are our older sites, to be fair, at this point. But I would say that these all these points that I brought up in this episode do prove or at least heavily indicate to, let's say, to not start a huge fight, uh, that people are using vanilla CSS. I'm one of them. 
someone put their hand up with an emoji in that uh, in that uh, comment thread. And if you want to check out that comment thread, you know, of course, uh, contribute in there. Don't be yelling and screaming at people like I. It's a legitimately good little debate in there. It's a good little conversation that has led me to think it through and, and make this episode. So I'm uh, thankful for that. I think the 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 idea that influencers create CSS content is a strong one, and it mainly stems from that like idea that people should understand the concepts behind the base stuff that they're using. So if you're using SCSS, you're building on top of CSS. We always say on this podcast to learn the fundamentals. It makes things easier to learn after. Once you learn CSS, it's easier to understand why Tailwind even exists. It's easier to understand what benefits SCSS gives you. If you're going into it blind, if you're going in and learning Tailwind before CSS, like it's the wrong move. I'm not saying that you can't succeed doing the wrong thing. You can, but it is the wrong way to do it because as soon as you start trying to troubleshoot, oh, like debugging Tailwind is going to be an issue because you're not going to know what the base underlying concepts are. Like, why are we using these kinds of margins? Why are we using, you know, this display none or display hidden instead of whatever? Like, it's all coming from CSS. So when you're learning, especially for junior developers just starting out, absolutely most of the content is written in CSS. That's one reason. The other reason is that like Matt was saying with SCSS, which is the other major platform that people use, the other major framework, CSS works inherently in it. So any CSS content you make will work both for the SCSS people and the CSS people, right? So it just makes sense to do everything in the lowest common denominator so that it works for as many people as you possibly can. Once you start getting into the more advanced tutorials, though, I will say, the tutorials that are meant for, you know, people working in teams and design systems, that's when you'll start seeing people move away from just CS, from CSS because they know that this person already knows it. That's the assumption that is made during the creation of those tutorials. So that's why it's really important to learn it. And it's really important, like you don't have to use it for every project, right? But understand that you can use it in certain situations. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with CSS for sure. So I think it's an important episode that we had here. Like, I mean, Matt answered the question, the title question, does anyone use vanilla CSS? I, Matt uses it. 100%. There's plenty of people like Matt, I guarantee you, that prefer to use the bare bone uh, framework, the bare, the bare bone technology, rather than start, start stuffing stuff on top if they don't need it. Matt works with usually smaller clients. He doesn't need the benefits that SCSS gives you. So that kind of goes across with everything else. Like JavaScript can do everything that React, Vue, and Svelte can do. So you don't need to use that if you're working on projects that don't require it. So it's we, just it's just another option. Well, we've worked too with people, and like Mike can attest to this, where we're working on a very simple thing with them, and they're a developer too. And like I'll just quickly spin up a I'll quickly spin up something with Flexbox, let's say. And I've had I've had people I've had a, like at least one instance and in, for sure I remember someone being like do you know do you know Flexbox I'm like do I know Flexbox like I know CSS and you know that I know that so yes and it was like well well like you know I just learned about Flexbox and these people had been through uh education like whatever the boot camp or whatever set of tutorials 
and they were building these complex sites with React and all this crap, but they had no idea what Flexbox was. And they're like, man, this makes laying out so much easier. And I'm thinking to myself, what is going on here? What do you mean do I know Flexbox? Like, I'm kind of falling behind you because you know all this, what I would call advanced stuff with React and all this other thing. And you don't, you never, you just heard of Flexbox? How are you laying things out? How are you? What's going on here? And it's probably because they they're so deep in whatever tool they're using. It, it it it's like it's almost like you're it's almost like putting blinders on in a way where you're you're using Webflow and you're only using the built-in uh, little modules, the little components like the slider and the text and this and that, and you're doing very little customization to it. It's like man. There's a whole world out there that's easy that they, in which you can easily achieve these like these results, like centering things or moving them around in blocks. Like, <laughs> what's what's going on here? So that's the uh, that's the I guess that's the if you understand the vanilla CSS side of things, then that's like the building block, and then you can keep going. But some people start way up there, <laughs> and then they're like, "Hey, what's going on here down here?" So I mean, it's a whatever. It's an argument to be had. Uh, I'm sure, but yes, people use vanilla CSS. I think that concludes this episode, Mike. I don't know about you. I don't know if you have anything else to add there. No, let's conclude it up. Alrighty. Well, if you want to support episodes like this, that's, uh, we, we are on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash HTML, all the things. And many thanks to our $3 tier patrons, Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital and blueblackdigital.com. Tim from the web hacker, the webhacker.com. Bib hashtag nineblockmedia, nineblockmedia.com. Jason from Geek Life Radio via geekliferadio.com. Michael Curie from MCU Web Studio via mcwebstudio.ca. Magnus from YesWeb via yesweb.se. Jeff from Twitter via at the Jeffrey Hale. And Fire Ant Season via fireantseason.com. Feel free to leave a comment or a review on the platform you're listening to this on. And this outro will sign us off. You've been listening to HTML All The Things Podcast. Web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things, signing off.